Attention, attention all personnel, it's MASHCAST! Hello and welcome to MASHCAST, the show that analyzes and celebrates episode by episode the greatest TV series of all time, MASH, which aired on CBS from 1972 to 1983, proud member of the Firewater Podcast Network. I'm your host, General Robert Iron Guts Kelly, and joining us this week in the VIP tent are what I was initially going to describe as a murderer's row of podcast talent. And then I realized that's kind of inappropriate in this context. <laughs> Chief Surgeon Ange. Hi, Ange. Hello. And Chief Surgeon Chris Lewis. Hi, Chris. Hi, I'm just the scrub nurse ready to mop Ange's sweaty brow when he gets to the <laughs> difficult bit of the operation. <laughs> I am. I got to tell you guys, I'm a little intimidated right now because uh, we've got two eminent physicians and I'm just a podcast host, but we're going to muddle through as best we can. Well, I can't uh, thank you enough for inviting me. This this is one of those episodes that I think, you know, MASH is a show that now that I am a physician, I watch and I look at it through a different lens. And, uh, <laughs> and I can certainly understand what it means to be an exhausted physician. Uh, and so I appreciated this one. <laughs> and if anybody asks for my next appraisal, I'm going to claim this next hour as panelist at International Medical Symposium. Just you know, <laughs> if, anybody, if anybody comes asking. Okay. I love being certified. That's fantastic. All right. <laughs> well, yes, we're here to talk about the penultimate episode of season six, which is the 23rd episode, Dr. Winchester and Mr. Hyde. It originally aired on February 27th, 1978. It's written by Ken Levine and David Isaacs and Ronnie Graham and directed by Charles Dubin. Now, of course, everybody, as you know, uh, Ange and Chris Lewis have been on this show multiple times, and they've also been on this very season. So we've already talked about what their feelings are about the Winchester years and the Winchester character. And th- so we're going to get right to this episode because it is a humdinger, everybody. So uh, the 477th is in the middle of a grueling over 24 hour session in O.R., Hawkeye, BJ, and Colonel Potter warn Winchester that he has to pace himself. He's been going without sleep, instead drinking lots of coffee, but he won't listen. But we could see his performance is starting to slip. A suture he tied came loose, and he's so busy yawning he can barely ask Margaret for the right instruments. In the lab, Klinger complains to Winchester of being tired and wonders if there isn't some sort of pill he can take as a pick-me-up. Winchester explains to him that the concept of the, the concept of amphetamines, but wisely refuses to give any to Klinger. Klinger gets mad and storms off, despite Winchester's warnings that they're habit-forming. But when he finds himself nearly falling asleep in front of his microscope, he breaks down and takes some himself. Meanwhile, in post-op, Radar gets in a squabble with some Marines over who has the fastest mouse. Radar insists his mouse, Daisy, can run circles around the Marines' sluggo, leading Hawkeye to sense a chance to make some quick money by betting on the race. Hawkeye isn't reassured when he learns Radar was mostly talking through his hat just to feel tough around the Marines. In the mess tent, the effects of the amphetamines are starting to show on Winchester. He's chatty, scattered, and so it's talking about a long-form article he plans to write for the AMA. Hawkeye BJ show up and try to get other people to bet on Daisy, and they get Potter, Mulcahy, and Winchester to throw in. Later in the swamp, Winchester shows Hawkeye his paper for the AMA, which is 27 single-spaced pages <laughs> written in just two hours, and it's all one run-on sentence. Wounded arrive, and we see that Winchester is now, in a word, hooked. He's gulping amphetamines by the handful, all the time making sure no one sees him. In OR, Winchester drives everyone crazy, bragging about his prowess and running from table to table, offering unwanted assistance. Later that night, Winchester can't sleep, and his constant pacing and chattering is keeping Hawkeye and BJ up. He promises to lay down and be quiet so his bunkmates can get some sleep. The next day, Winchester gives Daisy a tiny dose of the amphetamines when Radar mentions she seems sluggish and tense before the big race. 
at the race itself. Winchester's so confident he antes up more money, which the Marines gladly accept. The race starts, and indeed Daisy is lightning fast. She beats Sluggo easily. Everyone who bet is thrilled, but Radar is uneasy, feeling Daisy isn't acting like herself. He announces that she's retiring from racing. As everyone heads to the officers' club for drinks, Hawkeye BJ noticed how awful Winchester looks. He's pale, sweating profusely, and his pulse is running like a train. They take him back to the swamp, and his pulse is through the roof. They guess what's going on and search his footlocker. They find the amphetamines, and despite Winchester's protestations that he's handling it, they put up a mirror to his face, showing him that he's falling apart. Radar shows up, telling them that Daisy's acting funny. Winchester owns up to what he did, and Radar is deeply offended, threatening Winchester to never do that again, superior officer or no. After Radar storms out, Winchester meekly apologizes, then heads outside to throw up. A few days later, Winchester seems back to normal. Hawkeye tries to comfort him, saying there's nothing to be ashamed of. Winchester blows him off, insulting Hawkeye every step of the way, proving to both Hawkeye and BJ that Winchester is indeed back to his old self. All right, guys. Uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> this is a, a hell of an episode. It is, as I mentioned at the top, it's the penultimate episode of season six. And I don't know whether they were filmed out of order or this was just the intention. The The final episode of season six, Major Topper, is a is a fine show and it's a funny show and it's got a great some great medical stuff. But it's I feel like this should have been the season finale because th- to me, this is a really gangbuster show and it ha- brings Winchester kind of not full circle, but it, you know, the season starts with him and it ends with this, him, you know, trying to uh, adjust himself to this schedule and finally seeing what, what can be done to him. So I, I don't know. What are your overall thoughts about this one? We'll start with you, Chris. What do you think about this episode? I, I think you're right. I mean, I think a lot, in some ways the whole Charles feeling that he's got to take amphetamines is a bit of a, it's the culmination of the whole thing through the season about he's a bit slow and he doesn't keep up with the others and he's got kind of different a different style of surgery that's very precise but it it doesn't really fit with the meatball thing and in some ways him turning to um performance enhancing drugs is is a bit of that i mean you can see it in the context of a single episode because they start by going oh this is going to be one of those you know where we get 24 hour shifts and no sleep so it, it works as a standalone episode but actually with the I guess, you know, having the podcast, we, we get the whole season kind of back to back to back. We can see that that's a theme that runs through. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's 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 certainly focused on Charles and it's, you know, it's Charles at his most Charlesiest. Um, <laughs> you know, he's quite arrogant and believes he can be in control of his drug use and you know, when he's uh, he's just as obnoxious on drugs as he is off. And is a, <laughs> I guess a spoiler for the show. Um, but uh, yeah, and it's 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 a it's a great episode. It's a great showcase for him. Nice to see Radar. Radar gets quite a lot to do as well. Yeah, you know, I think this season with Charles, right? He has always put on this air of superiority, and it's quite obvious that. You know, he isn't built or is not used to things like grueling days in the operating room. You know, he's mm-hmm. like, they, they say at one point, you know, you almost swallowed your mask, you're yawning so much. And he has to maintain that, that air of superiority. He's a Winchester, right? And, and he's mm-hmm. better than these people. And he's not, he's human. And so he has to do something to, to keep that feeling of superiority, you know, intact, even if it means taking amphetamines to sort of like, you know, maintain this, this superhuman 
you know, you know, Winchesters don't perspire kind of thing. And, uh, and so I do think that this would be a great, you know, capstone for the season because he comes in, right? I do one thing, I do it well, and then I move on, even if that means that I'm taking six hours to do a surgery that Hawkeye and BJ yeah. can do 45 minutes. And now he has to do something on top of it to sort of like to, to keep that, 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 you know, Winchesters are better than everybody else. Um, and, and so I, to see him like taken a bit low and having to like realize I have to adjust who I am to this new environment, um, I think makes this a, a great episode, a great episode. Absolutely. And what, you know, you and I, all three of us, actually, when you've both been on the show before, I've asked you both about this. I guess there's no real answer to it because it just, it is what it is. But I always wondered when watching this, like the show opens, you know, where they talk about, oh, it's a 24 hour session and BJ's like, oh, to, you know, to start, how can, <laughs> how can, I mean, I, I'm answering my own question because how can the army demand this? Well, the army can demand whatever it wants because it's in charge, but how can you possibly expect physicians to operate both literally and figuratively <laughs> that long because the human body just can't do that. You, I mean, they're, you're hitting against the physical limits of anyone's performance for anything. I don't think you could ask anybody to do something for 24, 36 hours straight and not screw up, let alone work like this, which is so vitally important. So, and I know that mass cheated a little because we've only got four surgeons and that, as far as we yeah. understand, wasn't true. Yeah. Uh, they had, mul- you know, in re- real life mass units, they had eight doctors, 12 doctors. That way they could have shifts that they can't do that here. They can't have 12 characters, but it's, it is, it, it always a little like, how can you be, how can you ask people to do this? This is impossible. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, you know, you're forgetting the unseen night mash team who, you know, <laughs> you know, right. the other 20 doctors who work the shifts we don't see. Spirit uh, he's still here. Uh, he, he's not yeah, <laughs> he's just on the night shift. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, you're opening a big box of words because this is where doctors get into that. When I was a boy, my working life was so terrible. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll open and, and Ange can follow up. You know, when I, when I was a junior doctor, um, we we did really pretty dramatic shifts. Now that wasn't back to back to back to back operating, but it was working the hospital and it was working the the emergency department and the wards. We would cover the whole hospital over a weekend, and I would start at eight o'clock on a Saturday, and I would finish at you know if I was lucky two three on a Monday afternoon. I might get some sleep in there, but it wasn't guaranteed, and it was. Laminard work. There was in the good old days when we used to be in the uh, European Union, they tried to bring in something called the European Working Time Directive. And uh, this was this was to sort of limit hours. And there were two groups of of occupations that were excluded from the European Working Time Directive. Uh, One was long distance lorry drivers and the one the other one was junior doctors, because if Mm -hmm. either of those groups of workers are tired, nothing bad could possibly happen. So, so I did, I don't think I ever did a hundred hour week, but I certainly did high nineties hour weeks and it was really tough and it's a young man's game and there's no way I could do it now. Were great decisions made all the time? No, probably not. Um, but it, you know, that was the culture. And, and I guess if you're, you know, and we, we're talking about something even further removed because you're in theater of war and you've got, you know, a fairly steady stream of really quite poorly people headed your way and you're the only thing that's going to save them. So, 
you know, it's not great, but you kind of do it. But yeah, it's you're not wrong. You know, it's risky. Can only say, you know, kudos to you if you worked a whole weekend. Mercy, right? Like back when I was a junior doctor, back when I was a resident, it was 36 hours, right? Like when you were on call, you were on call for 30, you would start at 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. And then you were responsible for people coming in, uh, you know, overnight. And if nobody came in overnight, maybe you could get some rest. But if it was a busy Mm -hmm. night or if patients were active and you needed to be at their bedside taking care of people, you were up. And then guess what? You had to work that next day where you rounded on that team and you took care of people that were coming in in the afternoon. And then you signed out if you were lucky at 5 p.m. Uh, but oftentimes that was 6 p.m. because you still had notes to do and, and yeah. things could be busy. And <laughs> and so there were times that it was like, I'm probably have been up for 36 hours. And you try to work with your team and say, look, I'm going to lie down for 20 minutes uh, and yeah. and call me if something completely unravels. But but give me this 20 minute break and you'll be surprised how my body has become used to like power naps. Like I'm going to lie down for 20 minutes. And after 20 minutes, guess what? I can probably put together six hours of work because I got 20 minutes to sleep. But, uh, but I'll tell you those, uh, you know, there were those times driving home where it's like, Oh my God, like maybe I need to pull over and sleep in my car on the side of the road. Right. Or I am actually going to sleep in the hospital before I get in my car and drive home as much as I want to be away from this place because I have been here for so long. And it's crazy. And, you know, America has put together what they call duty hours for residents, right? Where you can only work X amount of time a week and, and you can only, you know, you need to have dedicated time to sleep so that you can catch up. And there is a little bit of me that sort of says these new, like these new doctors they're not experiencing what I experienced, which was I got to see the patient when they came in and I got to see them at hour 18 and hour 24 and hour 36. And I got to see how things on, you know, rolled out from a physiologic point of view. And that was valuable medical experience to me that, that, that was great. You know, that I'm glad I did that now. I could never do that now, right? (laughs) You know, like don't ask me to work 36 hours. Uh, This old man can't do that anymore. And so you are sort of walking a fine line. You know, what is good experience? What is, what is unsafe for the patient? Where is the middle? And, and, you know, I can't imagine they asked them to do surgery for 24 hours. They probably said, go away for 45 minutes and sleep, right? And come back when you wake up or we'll wake you up in 90 minutes if, you know, but maybe we'll wake you up earlier if if we need you because it's really hitting the fan. But it but it's a fine line. It's tough. Yeah. And uh, and I did. I I drank a lot of coffee. I still drink a lot of coffee to try to sort of like <laughs> keep myself up. I, I mean, guys, there's been times where I've recorded three podcasts in a day, and I'm like, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got yeah, you- now. I'm really tired. I've been talking about comics all day. <laughs> so I'm like, my goodness. Uh, and one other question related to this, and we, we might have even talked about this, and you and I might have even discussed this, and this is, it's a dumb question, but forgive me, everybody. Why don't surgeons get chairs to sit on? Why are they standing? What is the benefit to that? Well, it's uh, let's talk about Orson Welles and him having to put the camera underneath the floor in the old days, right? Like, if I'm sitting in a chair, the the patient has to be below me because yeah. I'm working inside them, right? Mm-hmm. Now, maybe you could put them in a high, like, stool, 
But yeah. then I would worry they'd fall over, right? You know? So, uh, so I, I think it's more you have to be able to like move your body around to sort of be able to look mm. deep inside That's somebody. Okay. Yeah. All right. yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I mean, interestingly, in this in this first scene, Hawkeye, I think he's actually sitting down. He is. He's yeah, he's sitting, singing. Yeah. But so maybe think course, of it. Yeah, Let, let's let's not forget these days surgeons get robots to do their surgery for them. So, you know, they can sit wherever they want and let the robot do it. They, yeah. keep, they very proudly tell us about their robots. <laughs> right. And, and it, it could be with that surgery that Hawkeye's doing is that like I'm done doing the hard stuff and I'm closing the skin, lower the bed. I'm going to sit down right. so I can get off of my feet for a little bit. Right. That's what made me think of it is it's like, God, you know, just just this just the sheer act of standing. Yeah. I, I've been in bed when I, like you just mentioned, Ange, when I was younger, I would go to general admission concerts where you had to like get there three hours ahead of time to get a good, not seat, but a, a good spot close to the stage. And it's like after stand, just standing for three hours, I'm like, I'm tired now. <laughs> I got to go through a whole concert. So let alone sitting there and digging through people's insides and stuff. So I've always wondered about it. I'm like, God, just, and it's not even like they're wearing sneakers. You know, it's comfortable shoes. They're wearing boots, which is even got heavier. So just kind of the, the, just the, the physical toll these poor guys are, are putting and the nurses as well. I don't mean just the surgeons. The nurses are on their feet and running around and everything like that, like that too. So, um, now it's in the opening scene of the episode where they're in the surgery. They note that Winchester has basically not slept. And Potter makes the comment. He even says, you think that three cups of Joe and a long shower can take the place of eight hours shut eye. And it's kind of funny because Potter is, of course, in charge. And Winchester just says, no, I'm going to keep working. Potter could say, stop it. I'm giving you an order. You have to go lay down. He doesn't quite do that, even after Winchester is screwing up. He's yawning. He's he's tying the sutures incorrectly and all this stuff. So it's sort of funny that Winchester just sort of is regards Potter's commands as sort of suggestions when they're not. I mean, Potter could be like, I, I, I'm taking this cup out of your head, go lay down, see you in eight hours. I think in the medical, I mean, that's a military thing. I think in the medical profession, certainly there's a bit of a, fe- a feeling of that there can be something called presenteeism as opposed to absenteeism, you know, mm-hmm. that y- you rock up to work because your team and your patients depend on you, even when maybe you shouldn't be there, you know, and sometimes you know, I, as one of the senior doctors in my organization, I have to send people home and say, you should not be here. You are not fit to be here. Go home. I know it's a burden on the rest of us, but you need to go and look after yourself. And actually that sort of self-care thing doesn't always permeate through to, <laughs> through to us as well as it should do. So um, I can see that, you know, and, it, and you're right. You know, Potter could say you are not fit. You are not safe to be working on this patient. Go and get some sleep. But because that has a knock-on effect that there will still be lots of people rate, you know, waiting for them to finish this operation and get on with the next one, then it's, it's kind of difficult. And so it's a, you know, it's a hard balance to strike. And sometimes, as we will learn in this episode, you know, the individual who is tired and grumpy and unwell doesn't always recognize it in themselves. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I, I'm going to keep going back to that, that fine line, right? A loose stitch mm. isn't, I've nicked the aorta isn't I cut the urethra, right? And uh, uh, the the ureter. And so I, I do think that Potter is probably saying an upright Winchester in this operating room where we're slammed is better than 
no Winchester better than as long as he isn't doing something (laughs) that is horrific. Right. You know? And so, and so, Oh, that stitch came undone. Retie that stitch. Okay. Like that's a minor error, you know? Oh, you, you've done something that is actually, you know, putting this patient in a worse condition than he was when he came in here. That's a major error. Um, No pun intended. And so (laughs) it could be that Pato is watching very closely waiting to say enough is enough. Go lie down. But, you know, it, depending upon, you know, how you view the staff of MASH, if, if Winchester was sleeping, that means the patient that he's operating or doing surgery on is in triage, not having surgery done. Right. And, mm. and you, know, you have to sort of weigh the risks and benefits of all of those things. You know, uh, again, I'm going to talk about the old days. In the old days, when I started my emergency medicine fellowship, the, the fellowship ended at two. Unless things were there that required the fellow to stay there, right? And and you would be exhausted sometimes at 4.30 and you would pray that the attending would say, you've done enough, go home, you know, um, uh, and you, you waited for that that time. And it could be that you were nonsensical when you were presenting the patient, right? Um so, so <laughs> oh, been there, done that. Yeah, you know, like, I, I, I think, I think that the musculoskeletal injury that the patient has is musculoskeletal in nature. Like, I actually said that, <laughs> and, and the attending was like, "Okay, this is your last patient. Go home." <laughs> no, but that, but that was three hours after the intended time that I was supposed to leave. And back in those days, they were 15 hour shifts, you know, there's only so much that you can run yourself ragged, you know, um, and you hope that somebody else can recognize it before you do something stupid. Uh, Oh man. Uh, So, uh, so the the next, the next scene is uh, in the lab where Winchester, we see that he's yawning. He's trying to do some research Klinger comes in and talks about that he's he's here to pick something pick something up that Winchester uh, he has to get from Winchester and it, he's tired and there's a detail here and I don't know whether it was intentional or not or it could be this is just I'm I'm reading into it because that's what the show tends to make you do is they said that you know Klinger's tired too obviously they're all tired and so I like that Klinger is not in like an outfit he's in his fatigues like he's too tired. Yeah. Didn't yeah. even make that effort. He does have little pearl earrings on. But- I was going to say, I don't think the earrings are regulation. Are they? Right. But I mean, he didn't, he's not coming in dressed as Scarlett O'Hara because no, no. it's like, that's too tiresome. I just, yeah. he just puts his, so he's dropping the act for yeah. the moment because that's just too yeah. tired to go through all this. I'm <laughs> just going to yeah, come yeah. in and do this. So they, that's a nice detail. And again, whether it was intentional or not, I mean, Klinger's been all over the season because as we've mentioned, radar has been missing for a good chunk of it. And so Klinger's been getting all the company clerk work to do and it doesn't make as much sense to have him in crazy outfits when he's doing that work. And then the other detail I love is when Klinger sits down at the table and Winchester's got the lamp in the foreground is a rack with uh, some beakers, not beakers, test tubes, excuse me, test tubes. And every color of the liquid is like bright red, bright orange, bright green, bright. They look like Kool-Aid tubes and it's like <laughs> as far as i understand like that stuff doesn't look like that <laughs> like it's in the, you know, the, they're not that vivid color it's like this is a like comic book coloring and i just think they did that for visual interest because as far as i understand <laughs> stuff in test tubes just isn't that interesting looking <laughs> yeah uh, uh that's true uh, i i don't think that it, it, they look like uh melted otter props <laughs> <laughs> 
mean, if like, something's what... that yellow, you've got a bad liver problem. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what sample needs to be bright orange? What would that be? <laughs> like, what yeah, would that yeah. even be? That would be that color. So I feel like they're uh, going to freeze them and make pops for everybody or something like that. So. A very, a very icteric uh, urine sample, maybe. So <laughs> yeah. Lots of bilirubin in your in your urine, but yeah, like I say, you're you're not healthy if it's that color. <laughs> okay, they got they got do, somebody's getting some bad news at the four seven seven. So oh, wait, uh, I don't think Charles is doing research, and if we're going to talk about the bad old days, I think he's doing a full blood count visually under a microscope, yes. and that is something that's done on a big old machine in a lab these days. Boy, can you imagine a being exhausted and then having to look and count so. <laughs> Down a yeah. microscope. Oh my goodness, that would just I'll, be the I'll, worst. I'll, yeah, I'll tell you two two stories that that stood out to me about this. So the first is again these these residency stories. I was post call, which meant that I had worked all night, and I'm doing um, uh, a, a month in the hematology clinic, and it's like two in the afternoon, which means that I have now been up for like 33 hours, and the well intentioned. Uh, hematology attending is like, let's look at some microscope slides together. <laughs> and so they had, they had a, um, a microscope where two people could be looking at the slide at the same time. And I'm looking at these slides of blood and he's like, notice the basophilic stippling of that one indicative of something. And, and honestly, I'm falling asleep and I fell asleep so hard that my eyes pushed into the microscope, which meant they, it's a two headed microscope, which meant it pushed into right him, like, you know, you know, and, uh, and, that's when he realized I was exhausted and he was like, okay, like we don't need to look at any more of these. You should yeah. home because you yeah. can't say, right. When you're in training, you can't say, I'm really tired. Can I go yeah. home? That's not what you're supposed to do in medicine. You're supposed to suck it up and absorb knowledge from these people yeah. who like the, the, the giants whose shoulders were standing on. And, and so seeing him exhausted, looking into that microscope just reminded yeah. me so much of, <laughs> of that moment in my own residency where yeah. like I pushed the microscope into the eyes of the attending that I was working. <laughs> it's just so, it's just crazy. And then the other thing that I thought was interesting about this is that Charles says amphetamines are called bennies by the bohemians. And I wondered if like, usually I think of benzodiazepines being called yeah. bennies, which are relaxation medications, not, not uppers. Um, and so I wondered if that was a mistake in, in the, uh, in the script. Uh, that leads to a, a gag where he says, but you bohemians. And that leads Klinger to say, I'm Lebanese. Yeah. Which is a, they, they did that joke a bunch of times where someone would refer to something to Klinger and Klinger, Klinger mistook it for an ethnic reference. And there's the, yeah. there's the Henry Blake one at time says to Klinger, Bolshevik. And Klinger yeah. goes, no, honest, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> they got a lot of mileage out of this out of those gags <laughs> so uh yeah, and it so makes a little, little bit of medicalized racism from charles there. <laughs> but i think according to wikipedia the first pharmaceutical amphetamine was called benzedrine so maybe that's where benny comes from uh i mean and it makes sense that Klinger, not knowing anything about this would kind of say in a, in a relatively innocent way aren't there some pills here that could give us some energy i mean it's a perfectly reasonable question when you think about it, I mean, he doesn't know this stuff, you know I mean? And he doesn't realize what yeah. he's really asking. He's asking yeah. for speed, but yeah. he you know, he doesn't know what that is. 
Well, and it was used quite a lot. I mean, you know, in, in Mad Men, they're advertising amphetamines as a as a a diet product, aren't they? Diet tablets. So they were they were mm. in pretty pretty hefty use actually in the fifties and the sixties. Not so much now because they're pretty regulated. But um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, and the number of patients who come in and see us and say, "I want a tonic," you know. What they mean, what they mean by that is they want to pick me up. They want something to give them a bit of energy. And, um, yeah, that's a, that's an excuse to try and find out why they're tired. But, um, yeah, it's still a, you know, fatigue and tiredness is an incredibly common symptom that we see all the time. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, very debilitating. It's quite nice when we find an answer for it, but um, most times we don't, you know, it's quite nice when you kind of go, Oh, look, you've got an underactive thyroid. We can easily treat that. But, uh, quite a lot of the time it's uh there's there's nothing physically wrong and it's a combination of stress and sleep deprivation and you know maybe people feeling a little bit low and you know those kind of things uh, for which we don't have tests it kind of reminds me actually there was an episode of um, mystery science theater where i'm blanking on the name of the movie but it's a movie about air uh, air force pilots and they're watching a scene mike and the bots are watching a scene and their their commander is talking to his cadets or whatever and he t- says to them all completely offhandedly, okay, everybody take your speed and let's get in your plane, you know, basically. And then Mike and the yeah. bottom are like, what? You know, like it's yeah. so offhanded. It's just like, oh, okay. I guess that's what we do in the, in the Air Force is we're all on speed to fly these planes. Okay. It's just, it's, but I mean, it's like, no, the, the, the line of dialogue is said as if there's nothing remarkable about that whatsoever. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. And which is and, and, and at that time it would have been a lot less remarkable now than it is now. Right, right. This was like yeah, a movie yeah. set in the sixties when, yeah. they, yeah, when yeah. they were watching. So Winchester gulps some down and he immediately knows what he's doing is wrong because he does the hmm, hmm, hmm. like he looks around yeah. and he looks kind of ashamed, but he, he does it, you know, he throws them down. So we're gonna have a problem here, everybody. So then we're in post op and radar is talking to some wounded. And he notices that one of the wounded is reading a Superman comic. And this directly impacts your interest. And um, Radar asks, is that the one where they kidnap Lois Lane? To which the Marine answers, everyone is the one where they kidnap Lois Lane. <laughs> <laughs> I like that early criticism of comic book plots. Yes. Uh, even, even this Marine is like, come on, Lord Weisinger, come up with something else for the love of God. <laughs> Early internet troll. <laughs> yes. You know what they should bring? They should bring some sort of female cousin into the Superman universe. Yeah. That would be really good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that would really liven things up around here. So the four Marines that are laying in bed and they're all got various uh, various levels of uh, of injury. One of them has like a his arm in a sling. Another one has a, a head wound. And there's another one who's kind of laying there. looks like a little more casual. I want to go, I'm going to run through these four actors very briefly. And I want to mention their characters names because it, it was a joke that I noticed was Christopher Murney plays Remy, who I believe is the, the, um, the, the one reading the Superman comic. He's had quite a film career. Uh, just a few of his movies, the taking of Pelham one, two, three, Barton Fink, Slapshot, Maximum Overdrive, which, you know, not a great credit, but I like to say it. So that's fun. Joe Tornator is Solita. He's the sergeant. He could come in in a moment. He was in movies like The Sting, The Fortune, Fist with uh, Sylvester Stallone, and he played a gorilla in the original Planet of the Apes. Uh, Ron Max is Gritch, 
He was in TV shows like Hunter, The Powers of Matthew Starr, Cagney and Lacey, Quincy. And then Rod Gist plays Chalk. Uh, he passed away in 1991. He was in movies like Buddy Buddy with Lemon and Mathow, Jojo Dancer, the Richard Pryor movie, Cutter's Way, and the uh, the Neil Diamond jazz singer. <laughs> and the reason I mentioned their character names, Remy. So uh, Remy, uh, Solita, Gritch, and Chalk is because... Those were the names of the starting infield for the L.A. Angels at the time. (laughs) And this episode was co-written by Ken Levine, who is a massive baseball fanatic. So there is no way that was not Ken Levine's uh, gag. (laughs) There's no way that was not him. You know, it's it's just funny you say that because now that I hear it, you know, Jerry Remy ended up playing for the Red Sox for a long period of time and then was their play-by-play. Um, oh wow! On, okay, on their on their television broadcast forever until he unfortunately passed away um, about a year ago. Um, so funny! I would have never put that together. So <laughs> thanks for letting me know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it said it's it, sometimes I hear those things and it's on IMDb and I go, "Hey, somebody making that up." But when I I see that and then I realize again, it was written by Ken Levine, who base does baseball announcing and things like that. There's like that's got to be his gag. Uh, there is a little bit here where one of the soldiers. I believe it's Gritch, uh, chastises the other guys for reading comic books. And he says, I'm reading uh, Catcher in the Rye. Don't you guys read a book or something? So <laughs> we've got <laughs> an early comic book snob. <laughs> He's looking and, uh, you know, they're like, okay. And then he says, well, Superman just is good. And it gets into this whole conversation where Mar- Radar talks about that he wanted to join the Marines, but his eyesight wasn't good enough. And they all mock him they only you try to join the Marines. you win last five seconds the, the the di would use you for chewing tobacco and that's what sets up this whole subplot is that radar is feeling insecure uh about this is he's feeling not not manly enough and this was that whole chunk is cut in syndication so oh. i never saw it until the oh. dvd so like when i would watch the episode i never fully got why radar was so antagonistic because these guys, because like it seems kind of anti-radar to be that way, because it, the scene comes in with Hawkeye coming in and they talk about the mouse and all that stuff. But I never knew any of that. I just thought, well, radar's, why is radar so pissy? Well, now I know why, because they were making fun of him. Yeah, the, there's a great line where they say, if we ever raid a kindergarten class, we'll call you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so I said, Hawkeye comes in with the sergeant and then they start talking about they are going to race this mouse. And he says, we're going to, a mouse goes up against the 4033rd tomorrow, which I believe is the only time I've ever heard of the 4033rd. They were always, always talking about the 80 double nickel and the 8063rd, but I think the 4033rd is the, uh, a new addition to the, uh, MASH extended universe. And so they start talking about the, the, my mouse can beat your mouse. And again, you know, Hawkeye, of course, sensing he can make some money here. And he says, uh, you know, put your money where your mouse is. And then it leads to this great button where Hawkeye's walking out and puts his arm around Radar. And he says, uh, Radar, this daisy is uh, lightning fast, right? And Radar's like, oh, I guess I could teach her. <laughs> and Hawkeye just stops in his tracks. <laughs> just like, what did I just do? <laughs> it's a great bit. It's an absolutely great bit. Then we catch up with everybody in the mess tent. Uh, Winchester uh, sits down and he's quoting a poem, which he says he himself wrote. Uh, I don't I am not familiar with this at all, so I don't know whether he's making it up or not, but he's being super obnoxious. He's not only is he you know, still awake, he's kind of lording it over everybody. He's like, oh, you all look terrible. And I, I look at me. I look fantastic. And Potter's just kind of like, all right, all right. You know, kind of ignoring him and stuff. And um, then he starts telling a story about his little sister, 
Honoria, which I should have been tracking this. I think this might be the first time Honoria is mentioned by name. I think he's mentioned his sister, but he's never mentioned her by name. And he mentions that she got married to a farmer. She ran off and got married to a farmer. And then she went and lived with, not married, lived with a shoe clerk. And which he all finds very hysterical. Now, considering the the kerfuffle that's going to be caused later on in this MASH series when Honoria marries, as Winchester puts it, an Italian, Ange, um, that, uh, (laughs) that, uh, this, you know, this this seems to be just in a line of Honoria's bad behavior. I don't know why. She is the black a- sheep of the Winchester family, ain't she? <laughs> she is definitely the black sheep of the family. But for me, I thought there is no way that Winchester would ever say this unless he was hopped up on something. This has right. to be like a yeah. family secret, right? right? She lived with a shoe yeah. clerk out of marriage, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, right? It just shows you how like a little bit adult he is. Yeah. And uh as for the Italian part, well, I don't know if I'm going to be invited to that episode, but, but in, in that episode, Klinger says, olive skin makes good kin. And if I tell you, my family uses that to this day. There you go. All the time. All the time. If you're not on that episode, Ange, the comment section is going to be hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I am half Italian. Nobody can tell from the way I look as a blonde hair and the last name and stuff, but I am half Italian. So yeah, I use that all the time. In fact, when the first time I mentioned it to, to Kelly, she thought I made it up. She's like, what is that? I was like, no, that's a thing. I got it from Mash. So, <laughs> and every time, because I'm out running a lot and I'm picking up some sun. And every time she remarks them that I have, I, you know, I have relatively tan arms and, and head. I always just say, olive skin makes good kid. Lives <laughs> on, but yeah, Winchester's racism that episode is is next level. So yeah, <laughs> when we get to it, it's fantastic. But you're right; it's only because he's kind of he's skating on his on his on no sleep that he would tell these stories and tell them like they're funny stories. And when we know. He would never tell these stories, you know, because as as uh, I think we even mentioned in a previous episode, like I think to tie into another fandom in terms of like Kanuni and Singh and his eugenics war, Winchester would sign up for that because he yeah. totally believes that his blood <laughs> is superior to other people. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, border bordering on Nazi. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> just, I just Winchester fully believes that there are superior bloodlines. He absolutely yeah. mentions that to, yeah. to Margaret in the uh, mail call episode where he's like, you know, we got to keep the bloodline. The Penobscots and the Winchesters had to keep the bloodlines pure. It's like, what? <laughs> well, and, and that, and they're both handsome men, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's always, yeah. All right. So, um, then we're back to uh, Hawkeye and BJ trying to round up some bets for the race and they are moderately successful. And then they, we cut back to them in the swamp. So then uh, <laughs> they, they have this brief conversation about laundry. Winchester shows up and we could see he's all, he's a little more manic than he was in the mess tent. Now I don't know how long, how much time has passed. Not that much, but he's already talking faster. He's gesticulating a little more wildly. And then he talks about this paper that he wrote for the AMA, which he says was with a mere two hours ago, two hours ago was a blank pad of paper. And he hands it to Hawkeye. Will you proofread this for me? And he says, I hope, hope there's some laughs in it. And, uh, <laughs> and he says two hours, there's 27 pages here. I pride myself on brevity. And then he flips the page. It's one long sentence. <laughs> 
It is like a script, isn't it? I mean, at 27 pages, no medical journal in the world is touching yeah. that with a barge pole. No, <laughs> no what? Okay, why is that? Is that too long? Is that way too long? Oh, boy, yeah. I mean, these days, I don't know what journals you read. You know, they're, they're, these days, the, the research stuff is really cut down from what it used to be. And they put, you know, they, they put the full article online. And what they, they publish in the journal itself is, um, you know, a kind of summary. So if you're interested in the summary, you can go online and read, dig, dig into all the data and stuff. Um, but at 27 pages, boy, that, that's not even making it online, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and the editors of these journals, trust me, as somebody who has tried to do research now and then, it's like, you know, the comma was in the wrong place. You used yeah. uh instead of the, right? So, <laughs> yeah. so this would certainly not be uh, something, as Chris said, that would be like embraced, no matter how good it <laughs> is. <laughs> Straight into the circular filing cabinet, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and Joel, yours have like Supergirl references in them. And the yeah. doctor's <laughs> AMA is like, what? <laughs> if he mentions the bottle city of candor, I don't even know what that is. I'm <laughs> What is that I was about? trying to. I was trying to think of a medical thing where you could have an acronym of Candor. Actually, yeah. <laughs> Chris, what is the British equivalent of the AMA? Uh, the BMA. So we have uh, the British of course, medical, <laughs> simple British enough. Medical, okay, British Medical Journal. Yeah, it's British, um, yeah. it's um, an interesting organisation. It's it's in dispute with our government over doctors' pay, um, but yeah, they have probably the one of the two big. Uh, kind of British, really prestigious British medical journals are, uh, you know, is that one of them is the the British Medical Journal. So um, yeah, that's my um, that's my non comic reading of choice. <laughs> nice. So what what can you guys both explain to me? Like what I've I've heard of that about the doctors' right for the AMA. Is that a thing you have to do? Is it a thing that you do? Is it a career kind of th- like you want to you get noted? Like what? Why it seems like aren't you guys busy enough being doctors? Did you have to now write sure. these papers um, as well? Do you have to do it? No. Um, yeah. The the it's it's uh, to be in a, to be in one of the really big journals like BMJ or the Lancet or one of those kind of things would be a would be a, a real prestigious thing in your career. You know, if you've got that on your on your um, you know your CV, that's a that's a big thing. Um, I, I, shall I tell you my aspiration? Uh, Rob, really, my my aspiration is to have a paper in the Christmas edition of the BMJ because they do really silly stuff there. So That's you the know, they the guy mentioned things. Hawkeye, right? Isn't that That's that one? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So they do kind of lighthearted stuff, and I would love to, that. One year they did a paper which was um, they went round uh, sometimes on, in hospitals. Uh, grateful patients when they leave the hospital will buy uh, a box of chocolates for the for the the ward staff to say thank you for looking after me. And they went round one of the studies they did one Christmas was to to test nurse junior doctors and consultants on could they identify which chocolate came out of which box so uh you know that's the kind of level of humor but that's my i aspire to do that i i have a paper in mind but i i never never seem to have time to write it um but too many um, podcasts yeah too many podcasts yeah but no it's it's (laughs) there are a group of doctors and i i suspect that it is likely more more hospital doctors i think than gps from my perspective uh you know and there are some consultants who have much more of a research focus and there will be junior doctors in their teams who have much more of a research focus so i suspect it's probably that subset of doctors who 
who write more, you know, papers and, and it's, you know, it's a big thing, you know, going for, going for jobs up, up the career ladder, you know, if you've got some prestigious papers on there, that's a, that's a feather in your cap. Yeah, there are doctors that are in what they call academic medicine, right? Where part of like their, the hours that they work every week is doing research to try to get mm-hmm. published. And then there are academic ranks at medical schools. Um, uh, and so there are some, and then they can get funded by the government, right? We're giving you $200,000 to continue your research because we think it's valuable for, you know, um, for the world to, to sort of learn more about this. And then, um, and then there are people that don't do research at all and, and don't have papers on their CV, right? Your average doctor who's in um, an office probably just reads those journals to stay up to date on what's new in medicine, but doesn't doesn't write for them. And so it sort of depends upon what tract of your career you're looking to accomplish. Yeah. Somebody like me that works at an academic center but doesn't want to do research, I'm like a hexagon peg in a round hole. I can fit, but uncomfortably. <laughs> I, um, I'm, there's I'm just somebody... about to have my name on a on a, a national guideline um, because I was I was um, co-opted. They wanted uh, into a, I've, I've spent some time with some very eminent hematologists about making sure patients are worked up safely for their operations. And they wanted somebody from from the community, from primary care to kind of say, well, actually, what's possible? Uh, and uh, it's been really interesting, but that's the first thing I'll have, you know, of, of any sort of note that's got my name on it. So you can get quite a long way, quite a long way in your career before it happens. But as Anne says, you know, there are some some doctors training. That's where they just that's just what they do. It's cool. Wow, you're going to have that and all these mash kits on your resume. That is uh-huh. that's be amazing. Chris. Jeez. Uh, so, I mean, I've seen episodes of of other TV shows about doctors where the criticism is lobbed like you've never even been published anywhere and i'm like God, really like that's a knock aren't these doctors busy enough uh so okay uh, but uh, i would love to read winchester's 27 page run-on sentence about, <laughs> about the, whatever that is i, I don't know 50. that you do <laughs> well yeah. I, yeah probably be two pages in you're like all right i've, I've gotten the gist of this um but uh but yeah uh I, i'm sure it was not does not exist i'm sure it was just a script as you say, the exact same yeah. page, probably the exact yeah, the script for this episode. They just handed it yeah. down all and pretend it's what it is. So, um, you know, wounded arrive and and uh, Hawkeye and BJ take off, and then Winchester goes and grabs a bottle out of his footlocker and takes a few more. Now, again, we talked we've talked about this in in previous episodes. I know that at a hospital like Ange, like the the pharmaceuticals are strictly doled out by a team of people that are there to do that job. Things are going to be looser here at the 477 because they have to be. But can a doctor just take a bottle of drugs and no one's going to notice? Is it, can it, doesn't he have the, isn't someone noticing, Hey, we're one bottle short of these things. Yeah. You know, I, uh, again, I'm old. So my career spans a little bit of time. And so there was a time that there would be some medications, obviously not controlled substance like this, would be just in a box, like open, right? Because like, mm. if somebody needs a treatment for asthma, and I'm the doctor, and I can cue that up, I should be able to do that. For safety reasons, they've become much, much more controlled. And so you order something, the pharmacist puts it together, the pharmacist checks it, the pharmacist mm. gives it to you. And so it would be impossible nowadays, unless you like physically broke in like a thief for um, for a doctor to be able to just abscond with something like this these days. Mm. Now, 
you know, you can order twice the amount of medication that you might want to give somebody. Uh, and mm. if you only give half of it, you can take that syringe mm-hmm. and just say, oh, I threw it away. But even that mm-hmm. stuff is so closely monitored and regulated now. Mm-hmm. Like my badge doesn't let me into the pharmacy as the doctor, right? I, I, I have to knock on the door. Um, so there's little opportunity for that. Yeah, I mean, this is this is sort of getting to the meat of this episode, really, which is is about the sort of governance of it. And, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, doctors taking alcohol and drugs and all sorts of things is far more common than anybody would want and might think. And, um, you know, it is very closely regulated. We have an organization called CQC, the Care Quality Commission, who regulate hospitals and GP practices and nursing homes and basically anywhere where patients are. And one of the many, many, many things that they look at is how safe are your drug procedures? You know, where are they kept? Are they locked away? Where are they locked away? You know, how do you account for checking stuff in and checking stuff out? And and like Ange says it, you know, it, it should be exceedingly robust. But people with addiction problems are very clever and doctors with addiction problems are very clever and knowledgeable and sometimes a little arrogant like Charles is here. And, (laughs) you know, it's a real problem. And, you know, it's, it's certainly something that's taken very seriously. You're, you're absolutely right. You know, it should be, it should be locked away, but uh, people find ways around it when they're unwell and they're, you know, not feeling too great about themselves. For those of us that are not uh, in the medical field, it, and it seems so silly to say this, but it is still shocking. I think to some of us that when we see a doctor doing something that we know isn't good for them, because they just feel like, mm. oh, God, don't you like? We see a doctor smoking, yeah, and you're like, what? How do you not? <laughs> and you realize, well, they're a person first and a yeah. doctor second, yeah, you know, and that they they they're addicted to nicotine. They know it's bad for them, but they're yeah. doing. I mean, we all do things that are bad for us. I, I don't need to have yeah. a medical degree to know that the Slurpee I had yesterday isn't very good for me, but I did it anyway. So it's kind of silly to to think that doctors somehow are above that. You know, of course they're not, they're people like, like anything else. So, but yeah, Yeah. Winchester thinks uh, they'll get into the, as you say, the heart of it, that he thinks he's above this. So then we're in, uh, we're in OR and Winchester is riding high, obviously. And he is buffeting around. He's talking a mile a minute. Um, He's, you know, horning in on everybody's patience. At one point, BJ talks about go find something to do to kind of occupy your time while the rest of us are operating. And BJ has a great line. Building a four-way highway is nice, uh, <laughs> which is that's a great gag. And then Winchester finally he kind of goes over the line where he walks over, looms his head in, over the patient, of Hawkeye's patient, and he's like, you missed a piece of shrapnel there, Pierce. And <laughs> Hawkeye just finally goes, Colonel! <laughs> just Get to call in dad. Mom. (laughs) (laughs) This is great. I love that Hawkeye would normally, of course, have some sort of witty retort at Winchester, but even he's just (laughs) to the point where it's just like, well, you freaking Colonel, get involved, you know, come on. Uh, and then Klinger, uh, brings in, who he is in a nurse's outfit, by the way. So he had enough energy to dress up there, brings in an x-ray and he mentions that it's a little blurry. It's a little out of focus. Yada yada, and of course Winchester says, "Of course, the Winchester vision I can make out every detail." Yeah. And just being mega obnoxious, and this is not a criticism of the episode at all, because I think this is a great episode. But it is funny to think that at this point, nobody like Potter, who's been around, would not have been like, "Wait a minute, what's happening?" Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like this, this can't be normal. It, I think it's like you say, uh, Rob, that 
people think that, you know, doctors wouldn't do these sort of things to themselves. And so I do think that you can become like a little bit oblivious to, to these concerns. I mean, it's very obvious for us, but for them, it might just be like, oh, that's Charles being Charles. I guess it just seems like he's so over the top. Yes, they, they so talk about that you know that that, that yeah. he hasn't slept. And you're like, come on, what yeah. are you doing? But maybe yeah. he's gotten some sleep between now and then, and he's you know on top of it doing the doing the drug. So uh, then we cut to uh, Raider's office, and he is training Daisy and um, Hawkeye and BJ come in and are saying, you know, we're talking about like how much money we're going to get on this this mouse, and is it going to work? And is he real? Is she really this fast? He she puts her. Um, we find out that Hawkeye is deathly afraid of mice. Uh, he radar gesticulates towards Hawkeye and he's like, he can't, he can't handle the mouse. And then they test Daisy by putting a piece of cheese behind the locker. And we see BJ, who is not afraid of mouse, puts it down and Daisy just, you know, rockets over there. But then she disappears and they can't find her. And he's like, where the heck did she go? And then there's a great gag where they're all looking for her. And then you hear a woman scream. Uh, in the next room, and Hawkeye goes found one daisy. Which... <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic sitcom trope. Yes, yeah. That's a great <laughs> um, so then later on at night, we see Winchester's trying to sleep, and he can't. He's turned tossing and turning. Now, is that just what? It, what is that? Is that just the 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 amphetamines is making his pulse race and he just can't relax. Is that why he can't, he's hitting this sort of low? Um, I, I'm not sure if it's making his pulse rate. It's just a stimulant. So he yeah. just, you know, his, his normal processes for falling off to sleep are just, you know, completely overridden by the, by the amphetamine. So, I mean, it's used for um, one of the uses, medical uses, legit medical uses for it is a condition called narcolepsy where you just sleep all the time. So I think it's kind of to illustrate that he's, he's just wired the yeah. whole time and he just cannot shut off. And, you know, it's sort of going too far the other way. You know, it's, I think that fear, that OR scene is to kind of show he's firing on all cylinders plus plus. And that may be a point where it's kind of helpful, but this is him firing on all cylinders plus plus. And it's really unhelpful because it's just disturbing his natural sleep pattern. Yeah. You know, imagine drinking a whole pot of coffee at 11 p.m. And you're like, mm. why am I awake at three? Right. That's exactly what's happening. He took a fistful of amphetamines at 5 p.m. He can't fall asleep at 11. They're still in the system. Right. Yeah. And and this is where, like, you know, remember people like Judy Garland. Right. They gave her amphetamines in the morning. And then they gave her sleeping pills at night. Right. You know, yeah. because she couldn't sleep at night. And so yeah. so this is where, like in many ways, we're lucky that Charles didn't say like, I'm going to give myself something to sleep at night because I need to do yeah. this. Right. That's when you really. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm. it's when it's used as a, a drug of abuse, you know, it's, it's when, when people go out clubbing and they want to dance all night, you know, that's Charles wants to dance all night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, speaking of which we, we cut to, uh, you know, he's, he's bothering Hawkeye and BJ and they're kind of like, do you want a glass of milk? Do you want us to read you a story? And then they finally <laughs> sort of threaten him. And he's like, all right, I promise I'll be quiet. And they're like, okay. And then we cut to presumably the next day. It's because it's no longer in the middle of the night where radar is talking to Daisy in, in her cage. Winchester says that he's going to bet money on it. And he asks, uh, and she, uh, Radar points out that she's acting a little nervous. She's probably sensing the tension of what's coming up. Um, you know, Radar's so sweet about that stuff that he can even perceive that a mouse, you know, is acting differently. I don't know. I've never had, I've never had mice as a pet. So I have no idea. Maybe you can determine those things. I would think, you know, I don't even know. But, um, Winchester says, go fetch me my opera glasses so I can 
uh, watch the race, which makes me think, why does he even have opera glasses? Why did he bring those with him? What, what, how did they, why did he think those were going to be needed at any point when it came to Korea? But uh, maybe he brought them with him to Tokyo when he was Tokyo general yeah, and he watched yeah. the opera that, there. And that that famous Korean opera, you know? <laughs> so, um, but of course, he's doing this as a blind to get radar out of the way. And we see that he takes a little bit of the amphetamine and crushes it up. And gives it to Daisy. And is that is that something you could do? could couldn't you just kill it by doing that? Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. It's animal abuse. It, it, it says, later on he says, I gave it a mouse's dose. Well, what's the correct dose of amphetamine for a mouse? Exactly. The correct dose is none at all. You, you, <laughs> you know, and, and how did he know how much of the pill to crush that, yeah. that you know, like this is, this is 0.01 milligram because it's the size of my thumbnail, right? Like uh, he, there is no way that he would know that. It's part rough. of Mash's yeah. obsession with doctors treating animals, isn't it? We've had operations <laughs> on rabbits and dogs, yeah. I think. Andrew and I have had comments in before going, we shouldn't operate on dogs. We really don't know what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> don't treat animals. That's you know, leave that leave that to the vets. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um so uh then we are in post op and the uh there's the mouse race, and they've built someone has built a, a marvelous maze. And even painted start and finish at it. It's really a really a quite a little, quite a nice little bit of construction. Um, mm. The uh, the director. There's about twenty five people, thirty people in the shot. Charles Dubin uh, takes the camera and puts it way up up in the rafters of the set, so we can sort of get a bird's eye view of, of of it all. And then they set them off, and everybody's racing. And at one point, it looks like Daisy doesn't know where she's going, but then she turns around and makes it out and wins the race. Radar is a little upset. He feels like there's something wrong, uh, but not before the the uh, the, the the Marines go. Hey, Radar, you and your mouse are okay. Which yeah. <laughs> it's like a it's like a Bowery Boys comedy. You know? Yes, yes. <laughs> Great. I think we should give a shout out to Klinger's Day at the Races outfit. He is a vision, <laughs> a vision in cerise. He really is. Uh, it's gone to a lot of effort for this. He wanted to look nice, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's, nice. It's, this is what passes for culture at the <laughs> right. So it's a night out, everybody. Uh, and it radar... must have been really tempting to speed up the footage of um, Daisy. Um, oh, right, undercrank the camera a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Do a little Benny Hill kind of bit. Yeah, slap yakety sacks over the top. Yeah, so <laughs> you know the, the editing is much more nuanced and subtle than that. Uh, <laughs> so uh, radar says uh, that's it. Daisy's retired. So she's kind of. Uh, She's uh, you know, that that that's she's the Harper Lee of of racing. One thing and we're done. We're gonna just be a king and then walk off the walk off the stage. And uh Klinger, I'm excuse me, Hawkeye and Win and uh, BJ leave to celebrate, and then they see Winchester is sitting off to the side. He is checking his own pulse uh with his he's got his fingers up to his neck and he is he can't breathe. And he is, he's hyperventilating. And again, guys, so what is that? What is the, is that just, what are the drugs doing to him at this point? I would uh, almost equate it almost like a nervous breakdown, right? Like yeah. when you're so that energized, right? Yeah. Like things just don't feel right. So he's like, his blood pressure is through the roof. His heart rate is through the roof. He's like, I don't feel like, like something is wrong. Something is wrong. Like when you can't deescalate and yeah. you're always on red alert, I just think that it's almost like a panic attack to me is yeah. the best yeah. thing that I would equate it to. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the amphetamines have cardiovascular side effects. So one of them is tachycardia. So that's when your heart goes, your, your pulse rate just goes through the roof. And one of the problems if your heart is beating too fast is that it can't fully fill with blood so that it's quite possible that actually he's not getting enough blood to his brain. So he's feeling a bit lightheaded. And like Anne says, yeah, I mean, it's sort of like a sort of massive shot of adrenaline. I, I, I assume because I've never done speed, but, you know, I, I, it, you know, I think it's that sort of it's just the physical effects are completely overwhelming him. And he's feeling terrible. And in fairness, he looks pretty bad as well. Yeah. He's doing a good job of putting, you know, good job. convincing us yeah. that he's actually having a, you know, an amphetamine overdose, I think. It's good makeup. They make him look pasty mm. and sweaty. And then when they bring him back to the swamp, his hair on the sides are all like uh, Larry find out, like it's all yeah. sticking out on the sides. <laughs> so yeah. he said that every time they need him to look disheveled, that's what they did. They took his, they had the, the, uh, the hair person took a comb, just gave him like little wings on the side. Uh, BJ mentions that his uh, blood pressure is 160 over 100. That's okay. pretty pretty bad, but it's not catastrophic, right? I mean, that's it's pretty bad. It's I'm, pretty I'm, bad, you know. I'm, it's it's sporting. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, right. I don't think you know. It's not a hypertensive crisis, right? It's not 240 over 180, but um, but it's high enough that it's like this is not normal. So, yeah. and so they, they're trying to figure out and he's, he's thrashing around and they're trying to like, what is going on? And then they hit on the idea that uh, maybe he took some methamphetamines and, uh, and amphetamines and uh, Hawkeye sums up the episode, Charles doing drugs. Well, I can leave Korea. Now I've seen everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just, and then BJ falls up with his ego. He probably figured he could handle it. And you're like, yeah, there it is. And then they realize, well, whatever's there is probably in that footlocker. BJ has a great line. Say something nice about me in the search warrant, which is <laughs> great. That's a great gag. That's we a good find out, yeah, we find out that Hawkeye knows where the key is the whole time. He's been drinking some of uh, Winchester's liquor and he's been sneaking in. And they see that the um, the the uh, footlocker is, is messy, which is an, an indication of something's wrong. And then they find... They find the drugs and Winchester wakes up just long ago and he says, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to report you. He's, you know, you're, you, I'm going to report you for stealing my stuff. And he's like, what? And we're going to get trouble for stealing your dope. And <laughs> they, they talk to him and he says, I can handle it. And then he says, BJ says, look at yourself. You know, this is you handling it. And he could see that, you know, he looks absolutely awful. And while they're in the middle of this, uh, radar comes in with a problem and he mentions that daisy can't calm down she's running around in her cage she shadow boxes then she tap dances and initially they don't they don't want to bother with this you know they're like we got a bigger problem to worry about radar but then when they let radar talk they realize oh, okay these things are these things are connected and they go to winchester and they're like you know daisy been in your footlocker too and he that's when he says i gave her the mouse's portion and radar's like what does he mean he means he gave Daisy pep pills and he goes Gary Berghoff radar says you drug my Daisy sir and this is related to the episode that Amanda Reyes and I talked about the what's up uh, doc show where this is one of my favorite character beats for radar is that um, he is always incredibly deferential 
to his superior officers. I mean, more so than virtually any other of the regular characters of the, the, the Corman characters. But when his animals are in jeopardy, um, he is not taking it. And I think this is probably the best, my favorite scene in the show where he says, how could you do that? And he's like, she was in no danger. And he gets, hey, listen, don't you tell me that. I raised her from a pup, which is cute. And he's like, look, I know you're a sir, sir. But if you ever touch my animals again, I'll have something to say about it. And and it won't be from corporal to major either. It'll be from man to man. Now, they put a joke on it where he pauses and he goes, boy, and he wanders out, which yeah. is then yeah. I guess they felt the need to do a joke on the on the yeah. on the on the beat out way. I kind of wish they hadn't. I wish they just let that moment sit. Oh no, I like it. I oh, like, do you it. like it. Yeah, because I think he could. You know, if he'd have gone, geez, you know, something like that, something different, it would have been a very different feel. Because you get the, you know, this is Radar standing up to somebody who is so further up the pecking order than he is and he still is righteously outraged quite rightly and i think it it says a lot about radar and the the passion of feeling that you've just described rob you know that he that he does that and i think you know if he'd gone out on an angry note i think that would have been different i think if he'd have gone out saying boy it highlights how junior he is and i think and he's still incensed and i really like that yeah you know i think that um this is a heavy episode, right? So I think that yeah. you, you, you can't pile on. And so I think mm. that the point okay. is definitely made, but then it's almost like we need to get back to reality and, and radar saying boy is something that he would say, right? So, True. so yeah. I, it, yeah. I didn't mind yeah. it that much. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. And we'll never know what it would have worked without it, but I, I do, I just, it's one of my favorite bits of characterization for radar is that, you know, he will, when his animals are being harmed, it, I don't care that you're a captain. I don't care that you're a major. I don't, it doesn't, you know, like in the, again, in the what, in the, the what's up doc episode, he basically defies Colonel Potter, uh, who he uh, worships. Yeah. Uh, but he defies him because he's like, I'm protecting my rabbit. And I just, I, I find that to be, um, the only times I've ever, I'm not a confrontational person. And the only times I've ever confronted a stranger is when I've seen them be abusive to an animal in some in very small way, nothing nothing catastrophic but i have seen people treat an animal poorly and i'm like hey no 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 no! don't do that don't be doing that in front of me we already had in a previous episode but i think it's really one of radar's um finest moments i just love that they they charles dubin just puts the camera on berg off and just lets him talk you know and it's like i'm not taking this nonsense from you winchester so um he storms off. Winchester hands his hands his wallet to Hawkeye and BJ because we gotta pay the Marines back because obviously we've been cheating. He gets up and they're like, Where are you going? And he says, uh, to throw up. And uh and so, you know, now is the whole and then we're gonna come back and we see that he's off drugs at this point. Now, it reminds me a little bit of uh, the T and empathy episode that you and I yeah. <laughs> had the subplot of yeah. the, the the soldier getting taken off morphine by BJ, yeah. and we were ever so slightly critical of that it was like a a c plot it looked so weird the guy just sweated yeah. a bunch yeah fine. bj held this man's hand for the whole half hour it took yeah. him to come off morphine right <laughs> you know but but here this is what then this 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 that that complaint is addressed with this yeah. episode is that okay this is 
we don't know how much time has passed between the end of the act break and now the, the end scene. Yeah. It could be a couple of, but clearly this was not just overnight, but at the same time, Winchester obviously forcibly was, he went cold Turkey. Yeah. Must've yeah. done. I, I mean, I guess the thing is they didn't bring in the whole, you know, who knew and did they tell Colonel Potter and did they stop him operating and all that kind of stuff? We know nothing about that. We hope, mm. we hope that that, that that was the case and that he wasn't, um, you know, doing any more, any more surgery while high. But, um, yeah, they don't, they, they go nowhere near that, which obviously in, in, in reality would be, you know, a very different story. Yeah. I think that this was, <clears throat> excuse me. I think that this was a short dalliance with this medication. And so, hopefully a short detox, right? This wasn't like that prisoner on morphine. That was like the surgery that I had months ago. I got hooked and I've been hooked ever since. So. So, right. So in your estimation, Winchester has been on these like a couple of days and that's just not enough to get hooked. Right. Is that what it is? Yeah. I think that it was probably like, maybe I would guess just given the way this plays out, like maybe like five, six days. And so you can probably say, we're just going to watch you and, and you'll be able to overcome this more easily than if you had been on them forever. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and amphetamines are not as addictive as um, morphine, you know, they're yeah. sort of moderately addictive. Okay. So uh, then we're, you know, it's uh, maybe not the next morning, but it's a morning and they're having breakfast. BJ and Hawkeye are happy that uh, they've got the whole day off. Hawkeye says, I'm going to take a nap and I'm going to wake up and take another nap. And they're realizing we're really enjoying that. Winchester still feeling the social stigma. He said, oh, well, you know what? I just realized the, the line. He says he hasn't talked to anybody in three days. Yeah. So right there, I just I just realized that. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm trying to guess. There, there's the line of dialogue. So obviously a couple of days have passed since all this has happened. He's ignoring everybody. He's eating by himself. And they decide, oh, maybe we'll try and make him feel better. Uh, <laughs> bound to fail this effort. Hawkeye goes over, sits with Charles, uh, we see that Charles has got a giant plate of food. He's probably yeah. maybe, you know, extra hungry because he's, he's been kind of coming down off this thing. And he's drowning it in salt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to the point that I went, does amphetamine lower your sodium level? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the whole bit, he's like, he's just really, and he's already eating bacon, which is already loaded yeah. with salt. <laughs> it's a damn good breakfast. For for a mess tent that's supposed to churn out really terrible food, it looks like a pretty decent serving of breakfast, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's the thing. Maybe the mash tent really does great breakfasts. You know, it's a great breakfast place, but don't go there for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they really fall off the table as the day goes on. Yeah, that could be. Maybe that's what's happening. So Hawkeye tries to console Winchester, and Winchester finally says, Pierce, will you save the consolation speech for someone who needs it? Uh, yourself pups into mine or anyone else in this canvas asylum still salting his food during that whole line. He's still doing it for the first time in months. I have found an appetite, uh, and any banal conversation is bound to make me lose it, which is absolutely fantastic. By the way, um, it reminds me a little bit. I just recorded by the time you hear this, everybody, the episode will have posted, but I just recorded an episode of mountain comics where we talked about an issue of Marvel two and one with the thing and the Submariner. And it ends the same way where the thing is trying to console the Submariner and Namor's like, leave me alone. Pity is for weaklings. And like this, this <laughs> <laughs> it's like, screw off. You know, I don't care about that. So without a word, Hawkeye gets up, sits down, slaps BJ on the face, on, on the back. And, uh, 
He's like, BJ's like, well, he says he's mean, obnoxious, pompous, egotistical. In other words, fine. Right. And that's at the end of our episode. Great show. Great episode. Real, like, as you mentioned, and it is really serious. Yeah. But it's got a ton of great gags in it. And I think it's a great kind of, not, I don't know, not exit, but a great way to end almost the season for Winchester since he is our dominant character this season. But overall, just a really, really terrific show all around. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was great. And again, um, uh, I've thanked you before, but like I haven't sat down and rewatched MASH, uh, prior to your show for a long time and and i get so much more out of it now that i've been a physician for many years but like <laughs> like i just get this just a lot there that rings true fantastic uh yeah, yeah it's I a think, really really good episode i think this is definitely one where we're slipping more into the drama of the drama deed aren't we mm-hmm. you know they're they're you know this is potentially quite a serious subject and i'm not necessarily completely convinced that 28 minutes of a sitcom is where you do it justice but it it you know as a popular show it certainly raises some quite significant issues and like you say there's no one kind of laugh out loud thing although the mice racing thing's a bit silly but you know there's some cracking one-liners in it well that's a perfect perfect segue let me start with you chris do you have a favorite joke from this episode line or joke yeah, uh, what do I like? I like I, I like the joke where they let where Daisy escapes. <laughs> the Hawkeye says, "Don't let the cook get it get it first." <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also like the where they're in the in the in the me- in the in the swamp, and um, uh, Hawkeye is criticizing BJ for not folding his clothes, and he said, "I don't want to make a mountain out of mohair." Partly I like it because it's a really good pun. And partly because I like I like the thought of US uni- Army uniforms being made out of mohair. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are two that I really like. I hope you're going to uh, allow it. The first oh, is uh, the first is BJ, um, when they're talking about the mouse race, says, you know, Marines radar, they love to land on things, right? <laughs> Meaning, like, he's worried they're going to beat them up. Uh, so, so I think that line is fantastic. But the one that really got me, and it's really a medical pun that I'm sure like uh, people outside of medicine might not find funny, is that when Winchester is buzzing around the operating room and he talks about how he finished the surgery very quickly, BJ says that was the fastest 40-yard colon ever run. And, <laughs> and the, the thing about that is when, when you're a surgeon and you're looking for injuries, they do what they call run the bowel, where they literally run it through their hands looking for injuries. So it's like, it's a double pun, right? Fastest for the yard Cole had ever run, meaning he ran it through his hands very quickly, but also the speed that he did it. So far and away, my favorite line, I laughed out loud and I said, I don't know if everybody's going to understand the double meaning of run, but. I certainly did not. Later explaining it. I didn't know it. I just figured it was just like sort of, just a, I didn't realize there was a pun there. Uh, yeah, the, except for such a serious show, this is a funny bit. And I actually have two as well. I never, almost never do two, but I couldn't pin it. I, I couldn't limit it down to, to just one. One is the, the, the B one. I'll go with my favorite one at the end, but my, the B one is when Winchester and Hawkeye and BJ are in the tent in the swamp and they're talking about, you know, they're kind of mocking Winchester for the schedule, this punishing schedule. And, uh, he's like, uh, he's like, don't forget, honey cut. I'm a Winchester. And Hawkeye goes, 
Write that down. He's a Winchester, which is that gag of like, we've only heard that 75,000 times since you've been here. So I just love the, the sarcasm of write that down. He's a Winchester. But then the other gag is from Klinger where he's in the lab and he asks Winchester for the pick me ups and, uh, you know, Winchester makes them sound really good because you'll you know you'll feel like uh you'll you'll feel like you could run a, a marathon and Klinger's getting excited and then he goes but i'm not going to give them to you and Klinger's like what and winchester says do you want depression chronic fatigue and Klinger goes i already got those <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, what's the what's the downside i've already got the Give me the drugs. I've already got the bad parts. Like, what's the That's a great, uh, it's so, it's so perfectly, perfectly delivered by JB Farr. It was just absolutely, I already got those. Like, what are you talking about? It's great. I, Winchester does nothing to dissuade Klinger. Yeah. Like, by, by selling them so well. And then he's like, but I'm not going to give them to you. Like, well, thanks <laughs> a lot. So, uh, man, it's just a, a great, a great episode. And, um, one last detail I wanted to mention. This episode is, of course, named Dr. Winchester and Mr. Hyde. We all know that what the reference to that is. But of uh, season two, we had Dr. Pearson, Mr. Hyde, when that's the episode where Hawkeye wasn't doing drugs, but he was simply overtired and going into some, some sort of like third, fourth wind thing. And he it got ridiculous. So they just took the title and slapped in another character. Now, given Mash's penchant for using pop culture titles, uh, pop culture references in their titles. I came up with three alts for this yeah. episode based solely on films about drug abuse that may not have been around at the time of the setting of this episode, but were around bef- by the time this episode was recorded, 1970. So these are my three suggestions. Beyond the Valley of Korea, uh, instead of Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Uh, Bigger Than Winchester, which is a take on Bigger Than Life, the 1953 James Mason film where he gets hooked on cortisone. Uh, fantastic movie, everybody. And then, of course, The Doctor with the Golden Arm, which doesn't exactly fit because <laughs> that's about needle shooting and not pills. But those are my three alts, everybody. So, <laughs> Well, guys, thank you both so much for doing this. I think I pitched this to you both. At the top of season six, I knew it was near the end, but I was so looking forward to it because I both uh, thoroughly enjoy talking to you guys in any context, let alone podcasting, let alone MASH. And then I feel I genuinely feel honored that two highly intelligent physicians would be on my show at the same time to talk about the show. So thank you both very much for doing this. Oh, it's a pleasure, Rob. Pleasure. Yeah, I, I, I have to echo that. I just love I just love it. You know, MASH was a big part of my youth. So to talk about it here is just a joy. Thank yeah. you both. And, so, and, and just say no, everybody. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Do not do amphetamines. They're not good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I didn't have to do more plugs at the end because that's a great way to end the episode. Don't do drugs. They're not good. That's a good way to go out. So, Ange, why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the Internet? Uh, I'm still on Twitter at Dr. Ange 70. I'm also on Blue Sky. Blue which Sky, is, yes. Which is basically the latest Twitter equivalent. Um, at Dr. Ange 70, you'll still see a picture of Quarmer, the Sand Superman as my avatar. And, uh, <laughs> you are determined, uh, man. 
but I uh, but I also run a Supergirl fan site called Comic Box Commentary, uh, where I review Superman and Supergirl comics. All right, now Chris, uh, do we have anything else coming up here on, on the podcasting sphere? Right? Have you have you got anything recorded yet that's not yet aired, or are we all caught uh, up? No, I think you're all cut up. We keep talking about doing some films. If anybody hasn't listened to your fantastic Clara Bow thing, then they really should, because I was listening to that last week. It is outstandingly oh, good. Thank you. Thank That's you very great. much. It was, it was a really good, while I was doing my garden work, I was listening to you talk about Clara Bow and I was blown away. So I can't remember the name of your wonderful guest, but it was a really good show. No, we haven't got anything. We're talking about some films and stuff, aren't we? But uh, nothing yet. My guest was Carrie Bible, by the way, I should mention on that episode of Fade Out. I really appreciate that. Uh, I will mention one thing, just as this is, has nothing to do with MASH, but while I've got you on the horn, Chris, of course, of course, on we did a film in water on the carry on screaming. The, uh, the the carry on iteration horror, horror movie iteration of the carry on series. <laughs> so I'll mention this, uh, everybody. Once I again, am... I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't I'm glad I saw it. But uh, anyway, the reason I, I'm bringing this up is because I am working on a. Uh, I've been hired by this company to do an audio commentary track for a Blu-ray release for the 1959 uh, British horror film, The Horrors of the Black Museum. Starring Michael Gogue, who of course played Alfred in the, uh, the Michael Keaton, George Clooney, Val Kilmer Batman movies. So I'll be doing an audio commentary and you can buy the Blu-ray and you can listen to me chat about the movie. So I'm doing research, right? On Horrors of the Black okay. Museum. And one of the things I love to talk about in commentaries is because Black Museum was paired up as a, it was, it was the A feature as part of a double feature. It was the, the top of the bill, but it was paired up with bunch of different films in america but i found a poster on ebay that when it ran in england it was double billed with carry on nurse so (laughs) (laughs) that that sounds like it's a double bill in the barbie oppenheimer school of thought (laughs) i it's only because the person selling it on ebay was asking like 75 dollars that i did not buy because it was a poster like a full okay. one, like a bill that you could buy. And it's got this big head of Michael Gogue. And then down at the bottom, there's like a nurse running or something. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll, I'll give you one, one tip for your commentary. It's pronounced Goff. Oh, is it Goff? Goff. Michael, Michael Goff? Goff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I never knew that. That's, Michael Goff. Okay. I think I'm, all right. That, thank you. That'll, that's I don't want pleasure. the commentary to be wrong. Uh, but yeah, I was like, boy, what it would be like to pay 75 cents and see horrors of the black museum and then carry on. Nurse. <laughs> carry on nurse. That's it. E- that oh is an God. evening, you know, so. <laughs> amazing so, double bill. Yeah. You can look forward to that, uh, that Blu-ray everybody when it comes out, I'll, it's scheduled for December release and I will be plugging it incessantly when it comes out. So anyway, of course, both Ange and Dr. Lewis here will be on the network and other times we have, there's lots of other things we're going to be doing. Uh, later on this year, maybe maybe next year, but there's certainly some movies we want to talk about, and they'll def- definitely both be back for Mashcast in season seven. So, both thank you both for your appearances this season. This is just terrific, and thank you all for listening. You can find the show, of course, over on Twitter at Mash four seven seven Cast. It is not on Blue Sky as of yet, uh, but it's still on Twitter, Mash four seven seven Cast. You can find all the back episodes on the website, finewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show in any podcatcher of your choice. And if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. And there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So a big salute to Daniel Ulrich, Nicholas Prom, Russell Burbage, Stan Peel, Mike Thomas, Joe Perino, 
Billy Shulman, Dennis Bailey, Kara Kay, Tim English, Adam Ackerman, Lisa P, Laura Braun, Stephen Van Skyke, Michael Kelly, Daryl Clark, and Brady Palmer. Thank you all so very much. So come back next week for the season finale of season six. But until then, that is all. $74.50. Who only bet 50 cents? Radar. That's encouraging. <laughs>